Join me in prayer, would you please? Father, we ask that by your Spirit you would open our hearts to receive the truth that is proclaimed in these scriptures. Help us to believe it, to trust in it, and to live out that truth in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please be seated? One of the very first times I preached the morning services here when I was in seminary uh, was actually early in the season of Lent, so it's kind of sweet to get to come up here again and do that. But the, one of the very first times I ever stood at the front in this building and preached or taught was a Wednesday night service. There were about a dozen of us that would gather week by week. We'd have a few songs and then a teaching uh, at that time from the book of Acts, and then a, an abbreviated communion service. That was our Wednesday night worship. And I got to get up and teach from the book of Acts because the senior pastor at the time was away. So I, I stood up after the music, and I introduced myself uh, and explained, senior pastor is away for the week, not to worry, he would be back before Sunday. And I was looking forward to to teaching, and a woman sitting right about there stood up and left <laughs> and did not come back. Um, it was not a bathroom break. She just left. And um, so there were 11 of us instead of 12 that night. And now, that's the kind of story a preacher might tell to get the, the congregation going a little bit, you know, kind of a, a humorous anecdote, maybe put everybody at ease. I've told that story a few times. Uh, to set people at ease when they were getting ready to, to preach for the first time or the first time in a while. But that's not why I tell it today. It stuck with me at the moment because it resonated with me. It resonated with the, the beliefs I had about myself at that time. Was I good enough? Could I teach well enough to be accepted? Could I eventually be a good priest? I had questions and I had doubts. Now it's a funny story. But at the moment, it was, it was a powerful one in that I didn't realize it, but it was revealing things about my heart. I hope that today and throughout Lent, we can examine ourselves, asking what are the things that we believe about ourselves that govern our thoughts, our feelings, our attitudes, our behaviors, intentional things we do, and also those default things that we do without thinking. That's the big question for today that I was supposed to tell you at the beginning. What are the things we believe about ourselves that govern our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors? Now, I'm going to start with, just for a moment, in Peter's letter, he says that now we're being saved by baptism. And that is a whole long thing we can't really dive into today. Maybe we'll get a teaching on that next time we have baptism. That would be great. Um, but I want to point out that it's kind of, it raises a question like, what the heck is Jesus doing getting baptized? He doesn't need saving. Uh, 
There, there were rituals of purification in the Jewish culture at the time, but Jesus doesn't need purification. He doesn't need to be made a part of the body of Christ. What's he doing getting baptized? And scholars, of course, have some opinions on this, but one that is gaining attention in our day is, is the realization that Jesus, of course, his ministry is many things, but one of his ministries was as a prophet. And the Jewish prophets had a way not just of seeing compelling visions and preaching a compelling word, but by actually enacting, making concrete the prophecies of God. Part of what Jesus is doing in his baptism is announcing that the Exodus story that had so shaped Israel wasn't actually over. That though they had left Egypt and, and, and gone through that first Passover, that the story hadn't ended. He's leading a new exodus. And so by faith through our, and through our own baptism, we can become identified with his new exodus, joining with him in the journey out of bondage to sin and death and finding true freedom. But in the Bible, for God's people, exodus isn't just about a leaving. It's not just a literal exiting. It's about a going to. So uh, in the early parts of the Exodus story, Moses goes before Pharaoh and he says what? Let my people go so that they may minister to me in the wilderness. And I don't think it's an accident that those two words come up again in our gospel reading today. The wilderness and a place of ministry, a place of serving and connecting with God. Let my people go that they may hold a feast, he says some of the times, to worship. Exodus was to leave one thing and go to another. And of course, that might cause us to ask, where are we going? If we've joined with Jesus in that Exodus, his new one, where are we going? Exodus involves a journey toward. And it turns out it's not fast. Exodus is a process. Israel passes through the waters. We know that part of the story real well. You know, they leave Egypt, and they're not free, it turns out, because Pharaoh comes after them. And they pass through the waters miraculously, but they're not safe yet because the army chases. And God vanquishes Pharaoh's army, but that's not enough. They, they worship on the other side of the river, or the other, other side of the sea, excuse me, and they, they're not done. They go to the mountain, and there's a covenant ceremony, and they wander around for 40 years, and there's bickering in the family and war with other nations, and still they're not done, and conquest to take possession of the land God has given, and still they're not done because they are waiting for the great king who will unite them. And then finally that happens, and his son builds a house for God, and then, only then, does God's presence come into that house, the temple, and he fills it 
so that people know that finally what God had said, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will be with you, is fulfilled. 500 years. From leaving Egypt to the presence of God filling the temple. 500 years the people were being prepared. Longer than our nation has been a nation, they were being prepared. Fast forward a little while, and the writer to the Hebrews, St. Peter, St. Paul, they write to the church to remind them that the process of being prepared to be with God is a lengthy one. They are not ready yet. They have to be sanctified. It's a process by which they will be made more like Jesus. The people of God do not disappear, but they become more like Jesus, so that what is true of Jesus gets made true of us. First, through our baptism. In our baptism, we die and are raised again, as Jesus died and was raised again. What is true of Jesus is made true of us each week as we gather around the table and we, we take Jesus into us and are made a part of him. Day by day, as the Spirit lives in us and we live by the Spirit, we are being remade in the likeness of Jesus. Lent. Lent is not a time for beating ourselves up. It's not a time to make us feel bad so Easter feels better. I I can't imagine it was last year, because I can't imagine anybody trying to make themselves feel worse last year. But I think it was two years ago, a friend of mine told me she was um, doing certain things to make herself more miserable during Lent, so that Easter would be all the more glorious. Friends, let me tell you, Easter doesn't need our help. (laughs) Easter will be a joyous occasion no matter what we do in Lent. You know, sometimes we view Lent as this, like if we just punish ourselves, because that's what we really deserve, you know, or we want to remind ourselves what life would be like without grace. I don't think that's the call either. What we have is an opportunity to let God examine us and to show us where our hearts may have bits and pieces left behind in Egypt. Where can Pharaoh still tug on a string and and just move us off course? Maybe just a little bit. What we want is to live more fully the divine life through God's own spirit, dwelling in us now. But if we don't pay attention to where we are getting off course, we do not experience that as fully as we otherwise might. And so this this season is an opportunity to make a little bit of room in our life for God to work a little bit differently. It's sort of like I mean, you should always, I think, keep your house clean, but certain times of the year we might clean a little deeper. 
we might pay a little more attention to certain things we don't notice in the daily living. Maybe that's just my house. How to begin. It starts with remembering, perhaps changing what we know to be fundamentally true about ourselves. Because when we identify with Jesus, when we join in that great new exodus, we do not find out that we are merely acceptable to God. What is true of Jesus is being made true of us. And so what is being spoken over us is not, you are my beloved. Sorry. What is being said over us is not, you are my tolerable one. You are my not condemned anymore son. My, I guess I have to let you in, daughter. Some of us live our lives as though that is the way God relates to us. He's forgiven us. You know, we've met the threshold. He has to let us in now. He can't keep us out of heaven because of Jesus. That's not the word spoken over us anymore. You are my beloved. You are my beloved. You say, well, that's what he said to Jesus. John and Paul both go to great lengths repeatedly to communicate to the new churches that because of Jesus, we, you and me, are given the right and privilege to be called children of God. What we believe about ourselves, what we believe about what God sees in us, what God speaks over us, is linked for sure to those temptations to turn back to Egypt. I mean, it's so, we laugh when we read Exodus that people were grumbling, we should go back to Egypt. And we, we laugh at them. How, how silly can you be, right? Who would go back to Egypt? And then we leave church and we turn back to the powers of sin the powers of the world and the flesh and the devil that are trying to grab a hold of us, they no longer have a right to. But when we know, when we believe, when we trust that we are the beloved of God, we can leave those things behind. And so I want to call you over these six weeks to make room for God to speak the truth, the truth into your life. Take on a practice, if it's appropriate, that will let you hear and believe the truth. Set aside something whose absence will help you to hear and believe the truth. As B.E. Palmer said, Ash Wednesday, you might need to give up something that you will miss and which will be good for you to miss. So there's a little less noise a little less fog clouding our vision. And then consider, 
What would change if I really believed this? If you are at all like me, there are probably some things you kind of know God wants to see changed, and you're not too sure if you really want to do them. But if we know that we are the beloved of God, if we really believe it, there can be no doubt what we must do, whether it's a small thing or a big thing. We know that to do it is to be more fully present with the one who longs to be with us, who loves us, not accepts, not just tolerates, but who loves you and me. And so as we move forward together, six weeks, we can do this together, you and me, all of us. We can ask ourselves and one another, what would change if we knew deep down that we were the beloved of God? Father, help us to know the truth about ourselves. That yes, on our own, we are sinful and unworthy, but with you, because of you, we are children who are beloved. Because you long to be with us, draw us close to you. Help us to live not by the powers of the world, or the flesh, or the devil, but instead by your Holy Spirit doing already what you have promised in us. In the name of your beloved Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.